This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Yes, thank you very much to the Death Metal Master Blaster there for providing the show promo. The interview subject that you've tuned in to hear and watch on this installment of the show is Wes Hauk. Wes is the guitarist and principal songwriter in Alluvial. He used to be in The Faceless. He does some work with Devin Townsend these days, and he's also recorded with Marty Friedman, who used to be in Megadeth. Now, the catalyst for the conversation is the new album from Alluvial. It's titled Sarcoma, and it's out right now, so do check it out. So a bit about this episode. Wes brings it. He demonstrates his considerable technique, and if you're used to listening to me just on the podcast, that's the reason why I've decided to go with a video edition as well, because Wes has given me his approval to share this video, and Wes does all sorts of stuff that I think is definitely for fans and for people who are interested in the guitar, you're going to be interested in what he's got to show you. Apart from showing his demonstrating, sorry, his inimitable technique, we dive into a heap of other topics such as his deployment to Iraq as a part of the US Armed Forces. Now, the interview was conducted at 6 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. I look like I've just woken up because I have. So there you go. Anyway, enjoy. Wes Hauk from Alluvial. Brother, how have you been? I'm good, man. Um, I'm glad that we get to go and like we can, you know, I get to do this now and talk about guitar stuff, hopefully, because like I just did four other ones and like it was the exact same type of questions, you know. So this one kind of feel like I just get to like talk about guitar and play guitar and all that shit. And that's well, a lot more fun. I am a musician and you can expect that from me. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I mean, where do you want to start? Because actually let me let me start with this okay so from the top before i start asking questions about uh sarcoma which is indeed a gnarly slab of death metal by the way i want to compliment you about your guitar playing so of course that's what i was going to open with so here we go look i've got my eyes out my ears out i should say for guitarists who are pushing the boundaries uh and you're one of them your playing is certainly tight it's immensely heavy but he, here it is. He, here's the big compliment, uh, Wes. Your playing is Vito Brada-esque. Now, I never thought I'd be able to say that about an extreme metal guitarist, but here you are, mate. So, I, and, and I believe you are the most innovative guitarist in extreme metal since Josh Travis. So do, do my comments resonate? Uh, Vito Brada is definitely like, I guess I could see some of it. Uh, Josh is a very good friend of mine. Um, he is like, uh, known for like, I guess some of the, you know, kind of creepy sort of like noisy pitch stuff. And I definitely have some of that on this record. So maybe I can see some of that. Yeah. It's not so much in technique. It's your innovative qualities you're producing sounds that I haven't necessarily heard. I might have, I've heard them elsewhere, but not put together the way that you put them together. So here's an example. Um, you take rhythm 
right to the line before it veers into Gent territory. I must confess, I'm not a huge fan of Gent because a lot of it just sounds like Morse code. But um, say, for example, in the song The Underling, and I know you've done it throughout the album, but the most obvious example example that I want to talk about is that you make this hoarse sound at the 220 mark. Okay, so it's almost like you're trying to calm the steed sort of thing, and that's that sort of innovation there that I'm talking about. I haven't heard anybody else do that in extreme metal before. That's the, t- the two twenty mark of thy underling. Yeah, yeah, it's a, um, it is a, like something that I guess you could pull off with just like a, but you, but it's a, it's a whammy, it's a Digitech whammy one, but it's on the two octave setting, and I don't know if you know anything about that pedal, but. Um, in the 90s Digitech and I only know about this because of my friend Jeremy Kroll because he just is like a gear historian in certain ways he's also a great musician but he told me about this there's this company that they retained that did all of their DSP and the chip that's in that pedal doesn't take polyphonic uh, anything right so you can't play a chord into it and have it do anything so like it does this artifact it does this weird freaky pitch thing that like is very famous on um these rage against machine records and then even uh of course pantera like becoming so like the newer whammy pedals the chip does take polyphonic stuff and there's also like this weird latency with it so when you play something in it it sounds pretty and i want it to just sound all like you know and that's uh that's what that sound is. I believe it's like a, it's probably like some sort of, um, you know, rather than like a, it's more yeah. like a, like a yeah. couple strings bent and then kicked up an octave, you know, or two octaves. Hmm. So, what, were you were you trying to do things for for being different sake on this album here and to show people that you were an innovator and that you could deploy techniques that hadn't been heard in extreme metal before? Was that an intention that you had? I don't think that that's something new. I think, like I said, you can listen to Becoming, Suicide No Part 2. There's a lot of whammy pedal stuff. I mean, in more modern days, I guess Josh is the guy who's really doing like the the crazy pitch stuff and like the um, yuck sound, as he calls it. Um, I... I think that effects are just uh, probably newer for me on record anyway, you know? So, like, I mean, maybe in some way. I don't think I um, so far done anything super innovative with effects. I mean, I definitely do my own thing with delays for sure. Um, But, like, you know, really... I'm just trying to, you know, as far as like doing stuff new, I'm trying to do new things with um, having, you know, like a a command of harm, extreme metal, you know what I mean? Understanding how it all sort of works and doing things that just don't sound like, uh, you know, the metal that you and I were reared on, you know, Um, but also have like the have the the conviction of that metal that you and I were reared on. Your right hand technique uh, is very tight. Was that something that was about? See, so obviously, you have the talent, obviously, and you have to mine that talent there. But 
Can you tell me about that right-handed technique that you've got there? Is it something that you were taught by somebody and they said, hang on a sec, you've got this talent here. If we refine this, you can become bolt tight as you truly are. Or was it just something that you sort of stumbled over? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, When I first started playing guitar, there was um, like, uh, you know, it was, I had a, I had a, a great teacher who was, you know, kind of teaching me how to play over like a, like a, like in a very rudimentary way, like kind of, but then being able to play over two, five, one stuff. So that kind of get me on the, that got me on the path of like being able to see triads, but like, um, you know, as far as like the, the picking stuff, the first thing I ever got into was like the sort of country stuff that like the, the Danny Gadden stuff, which I'm still a big fan of today. Like your, uh, like, uh, but there's never been, you know, like as far as rich is concerned, he never showed me any of the, um, you know, like as, as, as far as like heavy metal guitar playing sort of, uh, you know, like the rhythm guitar stuff, which, which I guess what you're kind of referring to right now, you know, it started out with, you know, very something pretty simple, like a you know fade to black thing, like and then sort of like getting this whole idea of down picked sort of eight notes. And then getting like you know note stuff happening which would be kind of like a you know starting out as a kid i think i probably started out playing chemical warfare about this speed you know like going um you know like right about here probably uh, and trying to get my upstroke and my downstroke to sound congruent and then just kind of bumping it up in like 20 bpm at a time and that is like uh, a thing that i still kind of do today is making sure that uh you know you know the 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 bulk of everything that i'm you know most of the time going to be doing is playing some sort of riff you know so like trying to make sure that this trying to make sure that this my downstroke sounds and my upstroke sound as uh, as much alike as because the biggest part I think of heavy metal guitar that we all celebrate is how mechanical it can sound. Right? And um, that's just you know it's just it's kind of part of the the heritage of it. So yeah, I mean that's that's been something that I. Uh, like and, and as far as like the sequencing sort of stuff, like we're gonna take something like a seventh chord, right? We're gonna take like a let's take F sharp minor seven flat five. Like let's take like let's play a seventh chord arpeggio. Now if I just go
it's kind of a shame to blow through something like that. So like Marty Friedman was really the one who got me into sequencing stuff, like where you have this like or like basically taking like a one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four. Um And then applying that to every one of these kind of two one two things that we got, like um, and adding like a sixteen note triplet thing up at the top. I'll do it in eight though. It's an eight note triplet at first, but going. So you got like a that kind of a thing, and basically being able to take arpeggios and you know like make them, uh, make them kind of get more mileage out of it like that then you know like there would be something like being able to go so um i mean really just having a command of rhythmic subdivision was always kind of my biggest ally at first you know like being like so i mean that that's my main thing you know i show everyone or try to show everyone is like rhythm is kind of the first thing that's always going to make people's ears perk up and if you can kind of pair that with you know understanding you know some cool harmonic kind of choices then you're you're gonna sound cool so yeah I'm, I'm so glad you decided to deploy these techniques across extreme metal because i know you, I, I watched you suffer through an interview not too long ago some guitar player magazine some guitar player interview where you were being interviewed live and the guy almost chastised you for not being into jazz not playing jazz and i thought isn't that interesting that uh extreme metal still gets marginalized a little bit in 2020 and 2021 but uh you're certainly bringing it brother that's for sure and uh do you, are you offering lessons are you offering mentorship to people that is yeah pretty much all i do throughout the week sitting right here and i teach over skype or zoom so um you know that part of it is cool because there's certain things with teaching that always just make me feel like i'm I'm thinking more, you know, because the types of questions that I'm asked or whatever, it's forcing me to like teach stuff in a certain way. And then because of that, I end up seeing something that I maybe didn't before. Like, you know, this, I always try to show people if you can break something down to the smallest possible thing that it's easier to understand. So if you have, you know, you have a G major seven chord right there and you're like, okay, so this is one, seven, three, five, but what is this? And you start looking at it, it's like, oh, second minor triad, right? So B minor over G is going to be G major seven. So if I can sit there and just kind of go like, uh, and I got like, and I could play from the you know, the third, rather that, rather than just kind of going like, but if I play something from the third first, and then I'll play that kind of sequence thing. Thank you. 
not going to run out of ideas as quick. I think this leaning on the scale is something that you do when you like are in the heat of the moment and you're like, fuck, you know, you got to figure out something to do in between like your other actual, you know, ideas that are musically valid. You know what I mean? Like you think of the scale is kind of this hiking trail around the chords, right? So you got this, you got, you can see this around it. Right. And then, and then you're like, this is a suggestion really. You know what I mean? So I can see this. And then I can see the relative minor right inside here, right? So I can see. And if, assuming that we're just playing something like this, or even in heavy metal, like, you know, something like. I can really get decorative, right? I can sit there and I can play a major seven in this. I could play, uh, you know, a flat seven. So I could sit there and come up with some line that was like, right there, I just added a flat two and then a flat five, right? So I could... And that starts to sound like it's got a passport, like it's got some stamp, stamps on the passport rather than it just being, you know, um, you know, really kind of based on the scale. Um, the scale is an important thing to know, but like it's a crummy musical device upon uh, other net. Uh, another thing I always tell people to do is if you can start d going rudimentary, you know what I mean? Or not necessarily rudimentary, but let's take something like this, a pentatonic thing. If I was going to go. <laughs> So right about there, your ear's probably going to get used to, and it thinks it's going to hear. But watch this. If I add like a flat five up at the top, I go. That starts to sound like, whoa, I didn't expect that. And it starts to sound a little trippier yeah. than you might have anticipated. It's musically so, pleasing. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, nice yeah. work, brother. That's awesome, man. With, with regards to your understanding of theory, modes, tonics, and scales, is that something that you developed at school, or did you go to a conservatorium? To me, which is a school in Hollywood, for very little bit, and like I said uh, in other interviews, I had a good time for the first two chords. I had a couple of good teachers that ended up, you know, piecing together some stuff for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the bulk of what I've done, I guess, is just been learning other tunes, um, you know, before I sort of went to school. And yeah, I mean, uh, just by reading different stuff. And I had a couple of different friends growing up. I grew up with a couple of guys who were killer guitar players that definitely went into the jazz thing. And, you know, like, like I said, uh, you get down, you go down the rabbit hole of the heavy metal stuff and, you know, you can learn a lot from it, but, uh, you, you know, I, I, at one point or another, I felt I was left out when it came to understanding harmony. So I spent more time on trying to understand that, which I think is like the a guitar equivalent of eating your vegetables, you know? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I get that's, it, yeah. that's kind of the thing that made me, you know, 
pursue this more because I just wanted those sounds. I wanted to understand them and how to, you know, how to use them. So what do you, what do you say to your students in regards to memorizing scales and the different modes of the scales? Well, I tend to think that, you know, I'll definitely get guys going on just understanding, um, you know, like at first I want dudes to be able to see, uh, this, I want them to just be able to like, look at this three note per string thing and look at like, if you were to open like a Mel Bay or fucking, you know, whatever guitar book, how to play guitar book, like they would generally lay the major scale out across four frets, like the grown ups way, which I call it like the Joe pass sort of like, but, um, you know, if I can see this, right, if most dudes can, you know, are familiar and, and rock and heavy metal to play an octave shape like this, right, and, and they could generally see a scale like this going. But I want them to be able to see it like this. Uh-huh. And yep. the reason why is because if you think about it in just the most basic terms, if you have three strings, you can make a, tr- a triad, right? Easy enough. So I can make, uh, you know, this right here, first inversion G major triad. And if I got four, I can make a seventh chord. So if I can see this, or I can see this, usually I can see, or I can see, right? Or I can see, you know, that would be fully diminished and this would be, you know, minor seven flat five. So I think that learning the scale stuff is important, but I think it's a shitty way to live on guitar. I think if you can understand formulas, like what's going on in a key, then you can always party. Then you're always boogieing. Like if, you know, rather than sitting there and going like, okay, say I had this, like, um, B major seven, sharp 11. And like, normally for that, you'd play like a, you know, like a, Something with a sharp four, right? You know, like your your normal Lydian thing, or I guess you could play like a, like uh, your third mode of melodic minor, depending on how quick you can kind of go through some of those danger notes. But if you can just look at it like this, like what's this? This would be first inversion E flat minor, right? So I got this, right? So that is, so E, so what do we just, we determined right there that E flat minor over B is B major seven. Now, what if I do, now that's a sharp 11, same thing as it is right here. So that's what I'm trying to usually show dudes. Cause I'm like, I, you know, Improvising is a, a whole bunch of things, right? Like, in a, you know, like most of the dudes who are great improvisers have transcribed a lot of stuff and everything. But like, you know, your biggest ally at first is having a rhythmic motif in your mind. And if you can do that and do and not think of everything in terms of the scale, because I find that people who are like usually thinking of the scale, they're kind of orienting themselves with the key from the lowest string crummy way to live if you can look at it at three strings at a time then you're fucking styling you know what i mean if you can look at it 
pretend for a minute that you got a three string guitar and force yourself to only play on three strings, you know what I mean? And get that going. Then you're not bound by shit. And then alternatively, the, the most important part is it's like, if you know what's in a chord, if you know what's in a key, then you're not bound by this shit. You know what I mean? Like you're, it's there. It's there when you need to fall back on it when you're in, you know, in the heat of the moment, but you don't need to live that way on guitar, you know? Mm. Here's a question for you. When you're writing, do you take a layered approach where you where you've got the basic song composition which comes first, and are you thinking then about all of these these tech? Well, I guess they're not techniques, but they're methods of improving a song that you've just discussed. I don't think that theory is ever something that I use to write songs. Typically, like if I'm going to use theory, it's usually on the back end of something to find out what's going on with it. You know what I mean? Like when I'm like, there's two main ways that I usually get it. Like it's something getting like, like fucking around like this thing um, on that song exponent. I don't know if you've heard the record, but it's this like yeah, killer album. Yeah. So this riff that's, that's like a, so it's kind of like, think of it like a, it's like a, almost a B blues thing. But, um, you know, when I'm thinking of it, when I came up with that riff, usually I'm chasing a sound and a vibe. I'm not really thinking like, oh, it's these chords. I'm usually figuring out out on the back end of stuff, you know, when it comes to personally writing. Um, but, you know, there have been certain cases where like, because a lot of the shit that I end up doing is like ends up being some sort of like modal interchange thing, you know, which is like the idea of, you know, you're starting out in G major and then you're going to take a chord that isn't in G major at all, like E flat major. And then, and then you got the C minor and then use like a secondary dominant to get back to the root. So I went from basically real quick, if you wanted to think about it, I went from G major to G minor because right, that would be... That's something that I do more than it is, um, you know, like trying to be real heady with theory. And this just ends up being the way I write. And that's probably from listening to Depeche Mode and fucking David Bowie and stuff like that. You know, that's probably where it comes from. But uh, that's killer. You know, the, that's unreal. But are you with just on just quickly with Depeche Mode? They're one of my favorite bands. So which which era, which album do you tend to lean into most? Um. I think that uh, the main stuff for me would be like uh, Shake the Disease. Although it's weird because my old, like the band that I used to be in uh, covered that song. But like, that's a great example of uh, really like, modal interchange that's in pop music. I mean, just a small act, you know what I mean? They had like a fucking crazy career. Real quick, just to answer your question, because I want to look at like, off the top of my old brain right now, my old uncaffeinated brain, I'm having a hard time like 
pulling, thinking of which record that is from. Um, yeah, no worries. No, I'm, I'm a, I love the Ultra era. Though that's 1997. Martin Gore uh, was just an, on his game on that album there. Yeah, I guess it would be uh, from. Nope, that's not the right one. Sorry, dude, I'm taking up your whole fucking podcast looking on something for Spotify right now. But yeah, I mean, that type that's of so good. <laughs> like that type of stuff is really kind of like uh it's it's super emotionally effective for Absolutely. me. That type of modal energy. Yeah, yeah, and indeed, yeah. Um just to switch up the questioning for a sec, you you've worked you've already mentioned Marty. Um you, you do play guitar. Still, I believe you still play guitar with Devin. Devin Townsend, that is. And uh, yes, I, suppose, I suppose I could call you an honorary Aussie as well, given that you helped out the guys in Thy Art as Murder. So you, you have crafted a broad resume to date. Do you see yourself as, as a citizen of the guitar, if you understand what I mean? You're an ambassador? A citizen? A, an ambassador? I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's accurate. It'd be tough to say that about myself, but like, you know, when it comes to teaching, which has been the only thing that I've been able to rely on in the last oh, 10 years that I've been doing this, it's one of those things uh, that I started doing just between tours. And especially in the last few years that I've been getting this band together, it's been like, you know, it's turned into this beautiful full-time thing that I can rely on and take care, take care of my family with. So um, like, I'd say most of the guys that I end up teaching are, are, uh, I guess it's a cool kind of compliment. Dudes are looking, they, they hit me up because they want to understand guitar more. You know what I mean? Like they want to understand harm more and how it applies and like how they can relate to other musicians, you know, and, and, you know, kind of understand harmony in the macro vision. And I think that's a, a pretty cool thing that I've ended up being that guy for, people one um i always wanted to be that guy who played a guitar that's distorted and then the other part is it's a cool thing to do for someone in like whenever i'm sort of piecing together or i'm showing them stuff like look okay if you understand this then look at how this connects to this and that and you see them like almost light up and they're almost like they feel like liberated like they understand something that they didn't before and um, I'm always telling people like this stuff is going to help you sound like you. We both have guitars right now. Like, you know, they both got strings on them. They both do the same shit, but it's like us and our life experiences and our physiology, I guess, to some degree that makes us all sound different. So if I can be that guy who kind of helps someone chase their sound and work on their own music, that's a, uh, a cool thing, you know? Um, Hang on, sorry, oh, I look, lost you on my the camera. Sorry, let me get the. Uh, oh, hang on, am I back up? Yeah, you're back up. Uh, I don't know my camera. Sorry, I'm just. I'll be experimenting with uh, different um, cameras at the moment, and this one might not be the one that I use moving forward. So apologies for that. But uh, sorry, continue. It looks good for what it's worth. I mean, looks your connection's great and everything. So I think you're good. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, let, let me. I don't uh, think. I don't think I have an answer for you beyond that. I mean, I don't know if I'm a 
an ambassador for guitar. I don't know if I've earned that. I think I'm still a dude who's still like kind of trying to figure out his sound. I mean, I've got a lot, I've definitely gotten a lot closer, but um, I always tell people that this thing is just a, you know, it's a, this instrument that's just kind of full of puzzles and problems. And you got about 85 years to kind of figure it out and you got to choose which ones, which problems are important for you to figure out. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. I actually think you're a mathematician. Really? Because I fucking loathe math. I was but, terrible. I used to cry when I'd get behind on my math homework when I was a kid. <laughs> that, that's a true story. That's that's incredible. I mean, guitar playing is just – it's, it's exactly what you said. You're the first person that I've interviewed, and believe me, God, I've, I've done 600 – well over 650 interviews at this point, mainly with guitarists, as you can appreciate. Um, it's framed playing the guitar as a method of solving problems, but you're just trying to solve the problem of creating, crafting a melody. But I, I haven't gone – I don't think I've gone this deep before either. Um, but – from from an emotional perspective, okay, so it it sounds to me like as though it's less cognitive and it's far more expressive, your approach to guitar playing, which surprises me, to be honest with you, because of your command and your grasp of so many of the techniques that are essential to bringing the guitar's fullest, it's uh, unlocking the code, if you like. You, you, you're, you're advanced in that respect. But I'm going to switch topics for a moment. Sorry, I know I went down a bit of a pathway and it sounds like I was going to ask you one question, but I want to, I'm curious about something else. Now, in 2005, you're, you were deployed to Iraq and uh, you convoyed throughout Baghdad for seven months. And I understand you wrote the song Ulysses about the experience. So, look, I've read the lyrics there, but when you were deployed to Iraq... And this is going to sound like a bit of a naff question, so bear with me here when I ask it. But you're in the middle of all of that. You're dealing with all of that. Is guitar playing the thing, along with obviously family, but is guitar playing the thing that's in the back of your mind? You're just thinking, when I get home, I just want to play guitar. Yeah, dude. I mean, uh, I did a total of four deployments while I was in battalion and I brought a guitar on every single goddamn one of them, uh, including Iraq. I had a, um, I had a Framus Diablo that I brought to Iraq with me. I have a buddy of mine who actually still has it, but I had to take it apart. You know what I mean? It has a bolt on neck and I had to like put it into a, uh, you know, like a, a box that I could take over there. And then it got in this sea container in Iraq and I had all my stuff. And, uh, the, I had a microcube. So, I mean, dude, like, yeah, I, I, we had these big rock dumb trailers that we released in Kuwait and, you know, I was filling these things up with gravel every night. And I had this like case, this rugged ass guitar case, um, that I got from, um, this guy who I'm still friends with, his name's Craig Costigan. He used to work for, uh, he used to work for Dana B goods, which was the U S distributor for Framus and Warwick, but then he went to Duncan and now he's doing his own thing. But, um, Craig sold me that guitar and he got me this like kind of case. And that was, you know, like better than just your net normal sort of hard shell case. It kind of looked like it was a heavy duty case, but it wasn't, but it was heavy duty enough to get me through a wreck. So like every night I'd throw this fucker, I'd climb up the side of this rock dump trailer and throw this case back there. And I had a, um, 
you have an MCU two Papa gas mask thing, which is like this, you know, we have a canister and stuff like that. And I snagged another one from supply and I kept my micro cube in that. So I'd throw that up in the back of the trailer too. And like, it was only just so I wouldn't get a bunch of dust and shit in it from the gravel. Although I did end up like, I, I think I did fuck that thing up when I was in Iraq. Uh, if I remember right, the, uh, that thing, but yes, like probably to some degree irresponsibly. So I would, uh, play guitar, but I didn't care. You know what I mean? Like there's videos that people have of me playing guitar in Iraq. Uh, it was just always the thing that I knew I wanted to do as soon as I got out of there. I always like the military felt like an eternity for me. Um, (laughs) and I, you know, I did a good job and everything like that. Like, that's the weird part of it. I guess this is the thing that I never talked about. It's like, I've got, you know, I'm saying these are big deals because motherfuckers get Navy achievement medals for anything. But, you know, I left with, you know, I got a Navy achievement medal when I was in Iraq, you know, never got any NJPs, never got in trouble. Although I probably like, you know, I narrowly avoid getting in trouble a few times. But yeah, I mean, like it wasn't like I was a dirt bag or anything like that. You know, I was in for eight and a half, nine years. So like, uh, but you know, it was the furthest thing from my mind every goddamn day. It was like me going back and playing guitar and stuff like that and really just kind of like watching these of my heroes and trying to learn music and all the stuff. It was the most important thing to me. Still really is, you know, other than my wife and my kids. But like, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, just in a position now where like I finally have my own band and I can kind of do my own thing with it, you know. Uh, I hope I can ask this question again, brother. But um, look, I tend to find anxiety kills creativity, and that's an extremely fertile environment for anxiety. Being in a war zone, of course, probably the most that a human being can be can face for a pro- prolonged period. So, how did you find that that pressure cooker affected your creativity? Well, I mean without going into it too much because I've talked about the whole, my, you know, the medical sort of problems that I had with deployment related stuff on a few other podcasts. So like, uh, you know, with the risk of sounding like I'm just repeating myself, I'll try to say this in a different way. I started having props, um, you know, with stuff about a year, nine months after I got back from Iraq and I got on different medication and yeah, there have been bouts of time, in the last, you know, I got back from Iraq in 2006, got out of the Navy in 2009. So yes, there's been some serious, uh, been a lot of problems that I've had where, you know, anxiety and, and, um, you know, depression had sort of bedridden me. And I mean, like, of course me making some poor choices with, um, booze and drugs and all that other shit along the way had, you know, made things worse than they needed to me be. But like also at the same time, I was a young fucking man and I didn't know any better anyway. So, um, like, yes, fucking a to answer your question. There's been some serious times where I've been just, I I thought it was kind of over for me as far as music went, you know? Um, but like, uh, And probably to some degree, in some cases, I mean, granted, I'm very grateful for everything that's going on right now. But every once in a while, when I look at friends of mine who, like, don't have a passion like this that is completely taken over their life, sometimes I envy them, you know, because I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, well, 
like everything must be pretty easy. You know what I mean? I'm not saying, you know, what I mean by that is like, you don't sit there and make a piece of art and turn your fucking life upside down for it. You know what I mean? Like you, like people who played it safe, you know, sometimes I, 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 uh, I envy them for not feeling so, you know, passionate about something where they've, you know, they've, uh, they've arranged their life in a way that just seems more stable for me. It's just always been, you know, like at a, at a very early age, I knew that I had to be able to arrange my life in a way where I would still be able to take risks. Cause I knew that was the biggest component of being able to try to have a career in music. And that's why I currently I'm not a homeowner, although I'm working on it, but, um, you know, like that's the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I, Sometimes I sit there and I'm like, fuck, uh, it would be cool to not be, you know, so in love with something that is tough to, you know, make work. And again, I got to be careful how I say this because it sounds, you know, to to the untrained ear, it can sound like I'm complaining, which I'm not. But, uh, no, no, you're not complaining. You know, Don't worry. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's so important for us blokes to have something that is truly our own. So my brother-in-law loves racing his cars. You and I love, I play guitar and bass. Primarily I'm a bass player. You obviously are a world-class guitarist. I think if you if you don't have that, that's when there can be some serious, what I've noticed, because I'm 43, especially with blokes that are like us, again, that have got children, there's, there can be some fairly serious risks to our well-being because... We, we, we've got a lot of responsibilities we've got to raise children uh, we're, we're in marriages we've got to make sure that the bills are paid and if we don't have something that defines us the way that I think guitar defines you and I then we can veer even like when we do get into drugs or, or, uh, or alcohol then there's not a safety net there that can sort of spring us back up again, does that make sense? Yeah um I think that it's different because, man, how do I say this without sounding stupid? Like the, you are a young spirited man in your forties. I'm a young, I turned 39 in November. You know what I mean? So by all standards, I consider myself a fucking 40 year old already. You know what I mean? But like, uh, I think that I am, way different than my dad was when he was 40 and fucking light years different than my grandfather was. You know what I mean? There's, there's something about something about society in general and whether that has to do with art or whether what that has to do with, um, what's expected out of you at a certain age is it, it has changed to some degree, probably for the better. I mean, although some people would say, the opposite. But I, I saw an interview with Kerry King. I'm a very big Slayer fan. And he said like pretty much the same thing. He's like, I'm in my fifties, but like, it's way different being a 50 year old now than it is fucking, you know, than it was in the eighties or nineties. You know what I mean? It's just like you, when you saw a 50 year old, you pretty much, you looked at a 50 year old, like, man, that dude's life is over. And that's not the case for us <laughs> now, you know, like. So true. <laughs> yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. What's what's been your career highlight thus far? Uh, 
um, in terms of like shows? Oh, uh, everything, I suppose. I mean, this this album here, Sarcoma, is uh, it's a, it's a killer album. But I feel as though, with the greatest of respect, I say this. I feel like as though it's just the beginning for you with an album like this. I know you're in the faceless, and I know you've done many other things here, but. Um, with an album like this, I think it just sort of sets you up for a... I was just talking to Marcus from uh, Halloween the other night and, uh, you know, they've had a 20-album career. I feel like you're at the precipice of something similar. So that's what I mean by that. So I feel like as though it's all still... You're not even, at, you know, halfway through it. I mean, you're just at the very beginning of it. So has there been something thus far that has acted, acted as the catalyst for you to go, man, I think this is actually going to work out very well for me? I'm definitely proud of Sarcoma uh, a lot. Maybe that is a career highlight. I guess signing to Nuclear and having like Monty sign us is a highlight. Um, like, I hope you're right. I hope I hope that we are in a situation where we're able to make records for years to come because uh, I like it a lot. I mean, and uh, I don't think that any of us right now have we're all pretty, we all communicate really well as far as the guys in the band. And, um, we all like have been doing this long enough to know that there's any number of good or bad things that can happen between now and the time that we may be able to afford to go tour on a bus, you know, that, that, that could, that could be really great or, or really bad. Uh, I, say it with pretty much anything like, yeah, I think you start out playing music thinking that you're going to be able to do it forever. Like, you know, Tony Iommi or, you know, any of these guys, but I mean, you know, the thing you can want in one hand and shit in the other and see which one <laughs> fills up faster. Like, I mean, like, of course I would love to do it. Of course, I would absolutely love to, to have a, a, a long and tenured career as far as like alluvial goes. Um, whether or not the the economy for music or like whether or not or rather I should say this, whether or not our bands after able to capture enough people's imaginations for them to get involved with us and make it to where we're able to do that is it's another story. Who knows? Who fucking knows? The only thing I can do is like make records that I think are great and, uh, you know, keep doing that for as long as, uh, I can. I think that the thing that you have to remember, most people have to remember is like, uh, whenever the day comes that like, say Metallica calls it, you know, like they're, they're no longer, it's going to be a massive blow to the economy of, metal music you know what i mean like you're you're like metallica has taken out so many bands over the years you know what i mean mm -hmm. like that that enhanced their years like namely lamb of god and gojira and stuff like that that ended up becoming you know sort of main stage festival acts and stuff like that and there's this gigantic fucking tax bracket difference between a band like <laughs> Uh, Lamb of God and Metallica. You know yeah. what I mean? There's just no, like, there's, it just goes from, it goes from like, that's really great to like, oh my fucking God, look mm -hmm. at that. Um, and I think that that's just going to be tougher and tougher to do, especially once these bands call it. You know, uh, it looks like Slipknot will end up being sort of the biggest band 
in the pantheon of bands after Metallica to sort of take over the main stage, like festival headliner type of thing. And good on them. They deserve it. I'm just saying that like, um, as these years go on, hopefully there's enough infrastructure left for, you know, uh, a fledgling band like us to be able to grow because yeah, we want to tour. Yeah. We want to go and do stuff, but like, you know, Kevin, our singer, he always makes fun of me for this, you know, cause he's like, he's very enthusiastic. He's like, dude, we're fucking sick. We're going to be, we're going to fucking kill everything out there. And like, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I mean, hopefully it goes good. That's my attitude towards everything, you know? And, uh, so he's like, He's like the opposite of me in that sense where uh, he believes deeply in everything. And I think you kind of need to have a dude like that in the band who has the vision before, you know, the it actually materializes. So, yeah, um, I would like to. I would. I hope you're right, buddy. I hope that I hope that you are right when you say that we're just getting started. I think it's just getting started for you personally. Um, I mean, I, I think you, you, you're spot on about career prospects overall, especially with bloody COVID the way it is and you guys not being able to get over there and tear it up on the European uh, touring festivals, those huge festivals that are over there. But here's, here's another question for you about uh, kind of like what I spoke about at the beginning about Josh. Now, with the sort of innovation that yourself and Josh are bringing to the table, there's another guy who seems to uh, have uh, encapsulated all everything that is uh, is righteous about classic rock and metal guitarists, and that's Marcus Jadell from Avatarium. I would, I, I've actually, I think I've said this exact thing on a podcast not too long ago, but I would love to see yourself, Josh, and the Swedish maestro Marcus do like a G3 style performance, you know, like with Steve Vai and uh, Satriani and, um, God, what's the guitarist from Toto's name? I keep forgetting his name, sorry, but you know who I'm talking about. Steve Lukather. Steve Lukather. Those sorts of guys. If a promoter came to you and it made sense, is that something that you'd entertain? I mean, it would be a... it would require me to have music that fit in that format kind of, uh, like here's the thing. I, and I just actually did an interview earlier, like where I talked about this or someone asked me if I ever wanted to make like an instrumental guitar record. Cause people ask about it a lot. And I guess it makes sense that people would ask me about it, but, um, I've never, my answer for it is like the, whenever I can make that cool, like whenever I can make that something where I can like, I'm like, Man, that's cool. There's a whole fuckload of, of guitar players out there that I love and admire, um, but like very few of them that I love their instrumental guitar records. Um, you know, I love their playing, don't necessarily love the records. And a good example of a record that if like Paul Paul Gilbert's Get Out of My Yard is. Um, that's a record for me that is cool as fuck as, as zany and like as, uh, you know, him as it is, it's like really his personality. And like, it's all obviously some of the greatest guitar playing that's ever been recorded. So like, if I ever had a chance to do something like that, but I, you know, do my own spin on it, then I suppose I'd do it. And then maybe that sort of tour could happen. But at this point I'm pretty focused on, you know, like I've, 
I've eaten miles of shit to get to this point to get a like this band together and and like have it be a fronted band. So I'm definitely gonna definitely gonna see this through for a while until I end up doing something like that. I've got to wrap things up because I've got to get the kids off to school. But uh, mate, I, I feel like as though we've just got started. So there's there's so many more questions that I want to ask you and dive into your philosophy. Uh, around guitar playing but um yeah unfortunately i have to leave it there but um look just let me make this my final point um mini try uh a mini fail but you're doing it okay and i think it's i made this point a fair few times but i never i just spoke to eric rutan for example you know the death metal master blaster such a lovely guy as well and you guys you guitarists for people like myself and so many of the uh the young people that are out there that feel a little bit, they don't fit into society. They feel like as though they're the square peg in the round hole. You're giving them hope because listening to your music, oftentimes when they're isolated, makes them feel like as though they're not alone in this world. So I think it's very important that you know that because I've certainly been given that feedback and I certainly felt that way when I was a kid listening to Adrian Smith and Trey Exactoth from Morbid Angel. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I hope that whatever it is, you know what I mean? I feel like, I hope I'm, you know, whatever people are getting from our music and whatever they're participating in, I hope they're not taking advice from me or us because like, uh, I don't think we're qualified to, but I get what you mean. Whenever I think about my favorite records, they sort of were a place to crawl inside of and maybe, you know, hang out and almost wear them. You know what I mean? Like when it came to like, you know, let's say, like Covenant and Domination or, or uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that are really big for me. Great Southern Tranquil, um, Heartwork, Fuck It, uh, Storm of the Lights, Bane. Those are records that I felt like I could just like crawl inside of and like view the world from that perspective, not in like a way where they were giving me advice, but it was almost like, you know, like that's what hopefully you're supposed to, the experience that you're supposed to provide with art and I hope that we did that with Sarcom. Oh, I think you're doing it. I think you are doing it. I think time will prove that to be the case. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for having me on. And uh, let's do it again whenever, uh, you know, like I, I've always loved to be able to talk about stuff from the the scope of guitar because, I mean, it's, it's something that I, I – I'm not into sports, man. You know what I mean? Like All this right. is pretty much it. This is what I'm into. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, so cool. yeah, uh, I appreciate it, man. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series, now broadcasting via YouTube. That was Wes Hauk from Alluvial. If this is the first time you've tuned into the show, you can check out plenty of other gnarly content at www.scarsandguitars.com. Please subscribe as well via the YouTube channel and also the podcast delivery mechanism, whatever it might be, be it Spotify or iTunes. That'd be awesome. Cheers.